Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. I'm Clay Wright, and I'm going to be hosting today, and I'm back once again with Jim Mindling. Yes, good to be here. It's, uh, I always look forward to this. Indeed, indeed. I was going to say, I always look forward to this hour, but it's usually longer than that. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good. It, you know, rather this be uh, getting longer than it's just there's just a lot of stuff to cut out, you know, of the sermon, which is that that's why we're here to have this conversation is because there's lots of depth and beauty in the Word of God, and indeed, and we're um, we're privileged to be able to turn back to Luke five and to look at the passage we preached about. Um, if you're new here, this is what we love to do, and so if you're a new listener, you can expect us to go a little bit deeper into the text that we looked at on Sunday, which which for us, like I said, is um, the first couple of verses. Of Luke chapter five. Mm -hmm. And in this chapter, we see Jesus, as you mentioned this, Pastor Jim, we see Jesus um, interacting with one of the most famous disciples for the first time or or for the first time in the gospel of Luke, I should say. Yeah, he's mentioned earlier, but we don't see any significant interaction with him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And uh, of course, you mentioned that he had heard of Peter, who's the uh, who, who's eventually becomes the rock of the church, so on and so forth. Um, he had heard about Jesus from his brother, Andrew, mm-hmm. uh, had, had heard that he was the Messiah. And now we see almost this confrontation <laughs> between the two of them. That's an interesting word. Um, or at least maybe an interruption that Jesus is making into the life of Peter. I actually think that the, the yeah, interruption is a good word, but I actually think that it's possible that it, that Jesus and Peter had numerous interactions before what is recorded mm. in Luke five happens. Yeah, yeah, um, and and not to get us into the chosen too quickly and for too long, but <laughs> I did um, I did like the way that they brought that element into the 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 this story as they're having you know, all the way back in season one of the chosen that uh, miracle of the fish and the first. They they did that right in the first season. Well, I I think so. Maybe season two. How many seasons has there been? Three. No, I think you're right. I think it was season one that they did the fish, because they they opened up the season with Mary with Mary, but then it was a lot about Andrew uh, Andrew and Peter. Yeah, and so yeah, we you're right. We were introduced to the Peter character pretty early in the Chosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there's a lot of tension there where with you know they they think of this story where Peter's you know fish there's all these fishermen fishing on the Sabbath and Peter's trying to uh-huh. there's uh-huh. all this drama going on. I love that they uh, that the chosen started with the Johannine passage of, mm-hmm. of Andrew going and getting Peter. Yes, yes, um, because that's where I think people get in trouble. They read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're like, oh, you know, uh, this is chronologically happening and. Boom. And like Mark, you know, one, I think we're in the first 20 verses mm-hmm. and Jesus is calling Peter and, and Matthew, it's because he spends the first four chapters setting it up. And so when you get to Matthew four, it's kind of like Mark one. And mm-hmm. it's like the first, the first chapters of Jesus's ministry. And again, it, it shows Jesus calling Peter imme- immediately. And both of those passages, Matthew and Mark make it sound like this is the first time that Peter and, and James and John and Andrew have heard Jesus. And I've always heard it preached, you know, that that Jesus introduced himself, you know, walked up and they heard the preaching and they just dropped the nets and they followed that. That's powerful preaching, you know, from, from my past, you know, that, you know, today's get up, go today, come down the altar, you know, because Jesus, they, they responded to him immediately. Mm-hmm. And as I started reading the Bible, I'm like, eh, no, it's, I don't think it was the very first time they heard him. Yeah. But it's mixed for exciting preaching. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, and, and there there are cases where Jesus is interacting with people for the first time. Oh, yeah. And there's this beautiful. Inter- so it's not it's not against the the text. And yet we as as you know, we want to read the Bible responsibly, we mm-hmm. want to. We want to interpret it faithfully, and so we want to let it set the agenda, which is which is what you're talking about here. And um, you're talking about Matthew and Mark. Uh, we we see if we look at the the Greek text of our of our 
pericope and in Luke chapter five, there's some interesting things that are kind of unique to Luke. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we've talked about some of the themes in Luke and that, and that sort of uh, idea in Luke as, as a whole, but can you bring us into some insights from the text that are a little bit unique to Luke and get, and key us okay. into how, how Luke is thinking about how he's setting up these accounts? Um, sure. Let's, let's um, just go right back to the, the text. Uh, so, you know, first of all, you have this, the, the thing we kind of alluded to is this, this uh, chronology, chronology that looks like it's happening in Luke 4, where he talks about, you know, the events of that day. So at, you know, at daybreak, at sunset, so that there's, there seems to be chronological things happening. And we definitely see that happening in Matthew and Luke. But then all of a sudden you get to verse one of our passage and it becomes very vague. This one day, you know, why doesn't Luke will say the next day or that next week? Well, you know, why does he drop the chronology that it looked like he was building in chapter four? And, um, and then, you know, you, you see this phrase again and again, that's kind of a vague feeling. And as you compare that to the chronology in Matthew and Mark, I think you begin to see one of the purposes of Luke, that he is not writing a chronological account, mm-hmm. that he is, like John, he is arranging the material to, you know, prove a point, to to argue, you know, for who Jesus is. And so uh, there's a theology of Luke, there's a theology of John, and we everybody recognizes that there's a real clear theology of John, but... Most for years, theologians talked about the synoptics, and when we say synoptics, we mean uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, they're looking at this passage, the, the, the life of Jesus, in a similar way, mm-hmm. uh, optic seeing, you know, sin in a similar kind of way. So, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a, a similar way of looking that's different from John. So we see theology in John, but we're like, no, Matthew, Mark, and Luke—they're just telling us a story. There's no theology, but I think. This kind of lack of chronology, this lack of paying attention to chronology, is one of the arguments that Luke is trying to paint a picture of Jesus that's arguing about who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's and you, we, we, we could have talked about this earlier in chapter 4. Let me see here. Let me go back to chapter 4, where it says uh, in 14, 414, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Well, that one verse, verse 15, he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Mark and Matthew give us accounts of Mm -hmm. him teaching, and this happened in this synagogue, and this happened in that synagogue. So you can just read from verse 14, 15 to 16, you're like, well... Um, you know, that must have, must not have happened very much. In fact, I've actually heard preachers say that Luke 4.16 is Jesus's first sermon, his first teaching. Right. Well, it is in Luke, right. but you've ignored the verse right before it. Mm-hmm. He was teaching in their synagogue. So Luke, Luke ignores all that teaching because he wants to get to Nazareth because he has a point to make. So right there in Luke fourteen, Luke four, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, you have your first clue. And then again, chapter five, verse one, just this simple one day. These you, you put these two things together, and these are some of the interpretive reasons for why we say, "Ooh, Luke's got a different angle, a different approach that he's." that he's uh, using to telling the story of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm grateful that he is because just like you mentioned in your sermon, carrying along from the previous sermon series, Luke wants us to know Jesus Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's, and so he's, you know, some, some people might, as we've said before, take that skeptical approach, but Luke is a trustworthy guide (laughs) at the, at the, um, he's looked into everything carefully. (laughs) Yeah. He says he has, (laughs) but inspired by the Holy spirit, you know, he's, he's being carried along, to reveal to us accurately things. And this about is not Jesus. to say that Matthew, Mark, and John are also not telling us the story of Jesus. Of course right. they are. That's what the gospel is. You Absolutely. Know? Um, I, I always think it's it's funny since we, most of us don't read the King James anymore, we never see the heading to the gospels. But in the Greek, it's the gospel according to Luke, mm-hmm. the gospel according to Matthew. A gospel according to John, or according, yep. and, and so uh, that phrase "according to" is huge. It helps us see. Oh, this is Luke's 
version and his perspective and his way of telling the story. Yeah. It's a small thing, but uh, it's also a significant thing. And also, I think it helps those skeptics who go, hey, you know, think they've discovered something. There, there's the, the chronology doesn't match up. Time out. You know, that's I know that seems like a big deal to you. Let's go back and ask, which is always a good thing to ask. Why was Luke writing? Why was anybody writing? And once you understand right. the occasion and the purpose for why they were writing, then that some of these things that we think are such big deals, the chronology doesn't match up, mm-hmm. falls away yep. because that wasn't the purpose. I wasn't trying to be chronological. I was trying to make a point about something else. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so as we see Jesus in this account, it's it's not 100% clear um, how this is connected with the material immediately before or after it. But we, we know it's obviously after Jesus's birth and before his death. And, and so they're, and they're in <laughs> the little window there. It's like, a, yeah. So like sometime during Jesus's ministry. And, and we also see context clues of seeing how his, his fame is growing. And so we, we, we get a general idea that Jesus had a year of obscure ministry where he's, you know, there's not tons of crowds following him. And then, and he, you know, he's calling disciples and then he, he has a year of uh, more in sort of the, the spotlight is on him. Large crowds starting to um, have greater conflict with the Pharisees. And that eventually leads into his um, trip into Jerusalem and his crucifixion. So mm-hmm. like we, we would place this maybe sometime between his year of obscurity and, and his year of more public ministry. And when we use that phrase year of obscurity, we have to be careful because that that's more of a, um, a, it doesn't mean, you know, 300, well, obviously it doesn't mean 365 days. It also doesn't mean 12 months. It doesn't mean that yeah. we, that we have down that that was a full year. Yeah. Some people right. think it might have only been six months, mm-hmm. you know, eight months, whatever. It's, but it seems like there was a while. Yeah. I think that's the most, what I would feel most comfortable with. There seems to be a, a period of time that, um, Jesus wasn't as popular. Mm-hmm. And again, or that he wasn't making himself as popular. And again, that fit, that doesn't seem to fit with Mark one, which says, you know, Jesus went into Galilee at that time, you know, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, repent. And, you know, it sounds like, okay, we're launching, you know, it's mm-hmm. a big, big balloons <laughs> and there's a band playing, you know, here we go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but not only, you know, does that, is that not the case, but we also sometimes <laughs> just forget that it could take a while to walk from Capernaum to Nazareth or Nazareth mm-hmm. to Capernaum, a long time to walk from, you know, the baptism waters of, of, or outside of Jerusalem, um, you know, uh, four or five miles from Jerusalem all the way up to the Galilee. So mm-hmm. we read these and since we don't know the geography of the land or most of us, we're just like, okay, you know, he was baptized in the, in the Jordan River down by Qumran, you know, and the next day he's up in the Galilee speaking. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why, because I know you're you're leaving for Greece soon to follow the you know the footsteps of Paul trip, but mm-hmm. also the um, you know you and I have both spent time in Israel and. Uh, learning the land mm. uh, is such a such a key. It's such a key into some of those. Yeah, sometimes people call the land of Israel the fifth gospel <laughs> because you learn yeah. so much just being there, mm. seeing the sights. You know, yeah, uh, what's pretty strong phrase? The fifth gospel. It is, <laughs> and I, I also would not use that phrase about the chosen for the record, <laughs> but they, they do play. I think this scene well. And so as Jesus is talking, he's sort of like backed into Peter's boat and the chosen. And you can see in the show, they definitely play up the irritation of Peter. And that's, that's one of the reasons I said confrontation. And and I think you did a really great job setting up the narrative of that moment uh, and setting up, man, what's going on with Peter? Is he listening? Is he not listening? Is he upset? Um, but we, we can say for, for certain, as we did earlier, that he's interrupted. Mm-hmm. And so you, and then, uh, later on, Jesus makes this ask, what would you set under the deep water and mm-hmm. cast your nets? <laughs> I loved the frustration that you, uh, in some ways read into, but just saw in that reality of that situation. Yeah. And I feel like that can be also very true of us when we're uh, at times interacting with Jesus, feeling interrupted. I, you know, it's easy for people to read this and go, Oh, this is the story of St. Peter. Mm-hmm. And so since he's St. Peter, you know, he's patient and kind and, you know, uh, long suffering and, you know, and, 
and and, and this is his tone of voice. Uh, oh, Master, we, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. He's just so cheery and happy. <laughs> That's just, first of all, he's not St. Peter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a, a title that the, that the church would give to him, you know, years, you know, centuries later. And second of all, obviously, he's, he's not a follower of Jesus here, let alone a mature follower. He, and we're getting, you know, the the an insight into a blue collar, hardworking, probably foul mouthed mm-hmm. um, uh, guy who is, you know, being interrupted by this religious guy. That is, you know, I don't have any time for you. I think I don't. I, I know this is interpretive stuff, but I think we have to look into the text and 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 stop bringing all of our um, preconceived notions and, mm-hmm. and let the text speak. What would a a fisherman surrounded by other fishermen be acting like? What would his yeah. mo be? You know, um, and if if you get a chance to do any historical reading, you can hear some stories about you know they're rough characters mm-hmm. and um, not unlike some of the things that we learn about shepherds. You know these. Yep. Blue collar guys, you know, been out in in the water all night. They're tired. They stink, you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> both from the sweat and from the you know the, mm-hmm. the handling fishy things. Yeah, and um, yeah. Again, back to the chosen. You know, they 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 have the the fishermen going to a bar at night, you mm-hmm. know, or in the morning or during the day, and, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't say that anywhere in the in the scriptures. But I actually think that that. That helps us kind of form an image of what is probably more likely to be the case mm-hmm. in first century fishermen's life yeah. than some of our flannel graph pictures of St. Peter, sure. you know, being all cheery and happy because he's so glad that Jesus is in his boat. <laughs> do you do you know off the top of your head, is the Sea of Galilee a fresh body of water? I think it. It is now. There is a little bit of salt water that comes in, but it used okay. to be all salt water. Because if you look at the uh, the ancient the ancient maps, um, it was fed by the Mediterranean Sea. And there's this uh, when you look at topography maps, and mm-hmm. and you, you can see this rift kind of happening. And so you know, they've shown, and I can't do this because I'm not a um, I don't know even the name of these kind of scientists. Um, but you know, it's not a cartographer. It would it be geology as people are looking at the topography? Probably of the something like that. Sure. And so they've shown that that uh, earthquakes and um, shifts in tectonic plates have you know created and turned Sea of Galilee into a inland lake, whereas instead it would have been fed by the Mediterranean. So mm. so you you still you still have some of that that salt in there. Hmm. So it's not co- completely fresh water. Um, uh, but it is considered a freshwater lake. Uh, the, the, for reason, sure. the reason I wanted to ask is because I, I recently went uh, deep sea fishing. And so as a personal testimony, I can say coming back in from a day of fishing <laughs> when you're out in the sun and you've got your, your whole body is caked with yeah. salt. Now, this wouldn't be a lot when it been like that. Uh, but you've been in the sun for sure, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But the kind of the salt level content of the sea and it's the ocean not is, quite the yeah, same. is much greater. Also, another thing about that that rift that shows that it was ancient ancient salt water is how low mm. the Sea of Galilee is. It's the lowest uh, freshwater lake in the world. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because the, the well, the Dead Sea is the lowest point. Yeah, but it's, it's not freshwater. <laughs> <laughs> has freshwater running into it, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. It's, so then um, <laughs> another really awesome phrase that you, you pulled out in your sermon is this phrase. Uh, Many people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. Mm. And it's a, I mean, just almost surface level. Any of us who oh, like the it. psalmist would say, I love the law of the yeah. Lord. You know, it, it kind of hypes us up. Definitely. And, w- and yet when we read it, a, a lot of times we're imagining they're listening to and we we input what we think of when we think of the Word of God, which is the the sixty six book Bible, you know, right. written Bible, right. NIV, leather bound, etc. So, <laughs> is that what was happening, or isn't you know yes. what, what was Jesus what said, was going on with the Jesus said, please turn to um, Ecclesiastes chapter twelve and your little leather Bibles there, 
And uh, I want to bring to you a sermon from, you know, no, the, the word of God. I think it's actually a fascinating phrase. I, yeah. I'm, I'm like you when I first read that, I was like, ooh, because you don't see that anywhere else. That's not a common phrase that, no. that Jesus was speaking the word of God or people were. In fact, I think this is the only place where I have to double check. Well, I can do that real, real quick. I got my computer open. I think this might be the only place where the exact phrase listening to the word of God shows up in the whole Bible. Yeah. Yep. This is it. This is, you know, one place in the whole new Testament, the whole Bible. So, uh, fascinating. Um, but you know, there's two big things that, to say there is number one. And I think I said this in one of the sermons is that everything that Jesus said was the word of God. Yeah. Because as John says, he is the word of God. Mm-hmm. So he's the living word of God. And that's that's a very very cool thought, but not only does, was everything that Jesus said, but then obviously everything Jesus taught. So you know, it doesn't say he was teaching from the Word of God, and it doesn't say he was teaching the Word of God. It says they were listening to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just I'd, I'd love to ask Luke. Okay, what exactly were you thinking when you chose to write that? Yeah. And, and would he say, well, the Holy Spirit just dropped that phrase into my mind, or I was trying to, to send a message mm-hmm. that you know, already that, that whatever Jesus spoke was the Word of God. Uh, but I, it caught my attention immediately when I read it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's a fascinating phrase. Um, and it, it would have been even fascinating to hear if, if, if he had, had said he was teaching the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they, that he used the word akuo, listening, that also caught my attention because my first reaction when I first read this, I remember thinking about, you know, listening. Oh, my first reaction was, oh, you know, they're all they're all dialed in, they're all you know on tiptoe, they're all um, you know, amazed, you know, mm-hmm. because that's the kind of the way Luke has set it up so far. We saw three instances of the people were amazed at his words and the gracious words that came out of his mouth. And, yeah. And so I pictured everybody listening, you know, with rapt attention, and they're all dialed in. But as I started thinking more about how this phrase, this word gets, not phrase, this word gets used throughout the Gospels, I, I, I literally thought quickly of the passage that I brought to, a, to attention, which was the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Originally, I was going to use Luke's version. We call it the Sermon on the Plain. It's, yeah. it's in Luke 6, because mm-hmm. he, he has a, the same ending to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Uh, but I just, I liked Matthew's phrasing better as he finishes the sermon. And, uh, but it's the same concept that they, two groups of people are both listening. And again, mm-hmm. I pointed out that this is that same word, akuo. Sometimes it means hear, which could be hearing, you know, just sounds, or it could be hearing closely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the word that's used from Jesus in the book of Revelation. He who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Same word. It's a very standard word. But it also can be referred to close listening, you know, deep listening. And um, so as soon as I I pictured that, I got thinking, I wonder if, you know, there are people in this crowd who represent different kinds of listening. Yeah. Which made me think about our crowd, you Mm -hmm. know. And I'm like, well, I know there are people that are listening at different levels. So I just started to to play with that a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, it, 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 it was fun. And you and I both know that as a staff, we've been studying the book of James uh, t- in part together. We've been teaching through it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we had just <laughs> lo- uh, heard teaching on James, James one. chapter one, yeah. where it talks about someone who listens to the word is a hearer of the word only and not mm-hmm. a doer. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, what you need to do is to hear the word and to put it into practice. And so, um, there, there's a really interesting theme there throughout yeah. the New Testament of how, how do you turn your hearing of the word into something that actually is impacting your life, actually is transforming you. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's something we can actually talk about because that's we didn't have time to talk about that. But mm-hmm. you know, you know, James would say, you know, pay, you know, think about what you're listening to, pay attention to it, and don't be like a person who sees himself in a mirror and then walks away. So think about it. And then put it into practice. Yep. So when you obey, or when you the Greek sometimes it's good, good translated um, observe mm-hmm. um, the the word of God, putting that into practice um, helps you actually in your listening. So, you know, if if you go back to the Old Testament, you, sometimes people have have heard us talk about the Shema. Yep. Uh, that's usually when we say the Shema, we're referring to Deuteronomy six. 
which um, is a famous passage where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, so that passage starts off with, Hear, O Israel. And so in Hebrew, now we're not in Greek, we're in Hebrew, the word for hear is the word Shema. Mm-hmm. So that's so... The, the 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 Hebrews would uh, the Jews would often call a passage by one of the words or the first word of a text. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, <clears throat> so uh, this word Shema does not mean merely to hear words. It means to listen and put into practice. Yeah, that's what the word Shema means. Mm-hmm. Well, we lose that in the English. Because maybe because of the way we listen, but also because the way is the way the word is used, just like with the word love, if, you know, we, we have one word for love, yeah. And both um, the Hebrew and English and, and Greek have multiple words for love to to um, to distinguish the different kinds of love. Well, there's there's also different kinds of listening, and so. You know, we might talk about Hebraic listening, which is listen and obey, listen and do, and Greek listening, mm. uh, which c- could be a range of meanings. It could be just hearing uh, sounds, or it could be, you know, paying attention, or it could be hearing to obey. And yeah. um, so, because Jesus and James make the point, don't just be hearers only, put it into practice. That goes to show that the, that word akuo in the Greek is not a word that means to listen and obey. You have to add obedience, you have to add observation right. uh, of the, putting it into practice. Yeah. And it's what's so interesting to me is whenever I think about that phenomenon, I always end up thinking about the relationship between my work and act, what am I contributing to um, my transformation and how is the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. bringing transformation about in me? Because mm-hmm. I think you can get caught on both sides of this and yeah, end sure. up missing it. On the one hand, we can assume that just, just listening to the word is transformational. Mm-hmm. And in some senses, in some sense it is, it, yeah. it, you know, it's some, it is right. It, it is, uh, or at least it, it, it's, <laughs> the, it's the first step towards transformation. Right. And but, without listening, there can be no, you know, the word's not magic. Right. It's not like you put it on your head, like osmosis, you know, mm-hmm. I've got the word of God on my head every night. Right. You know? but, it, but it's also not as though you could play an audiobook of the Bible as you're sleeping and it's, it's going in your ear. Your brain may be responding to it in mm-hmm. some sense, mm-hmm. Um, but you're not, you're not interacting with you it. You have a role to play, mm-hmm. which is important for us to remember. I, you know, this this brings us into soteriological conversations, yep. you know, which we mean exactly. by that I mean salvation. How does salvation happen? Yes. And sometimes some people talk about salvation as if it's so much a work of God that it excludes our role. And of course, that's not biblical at all. God does is the first and the most significant word in our getting saved you know if he doesn't give us the grace to respond if he doesn't speak if he doesn't go first if he doesn't initiate no one can be saved Mm. but god never saves anybody against their will there has to be some response from us which is interesting in this text clay it it seems like jesus is also in in in, um uh, what's the word i'm thinking of uh enrolling peter in his miracle, he yep. he could have just pointed to the water and say, "Fish, come!" You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, or he could have waved his hand or any number of things. But he tells Peter, "You know, let down your nets mm-hmm. before there's any fish to be seen." Uh, and you know, of course, that begs the question: Was the miracle? Did Jesus create fish? Did he direct the fish that were already in the water? <laughs> did he call the fish together? You know, yeah. like, uh, you know, h- how did that miracle happen? Which we, we all know it, it doesn't matter. But the important point for this conversation is that he enrolled Peter in, uh, and you, you have a role to play. You got to cooperate. You take a step of faith mm-hmm. in order to to be a part of this miracle. Yep. Which, going back to your comments about listening. You know, Paul says in Romans 10, we have to listen with faith. You know, faith comes by hearing. So faith is the obedient response, the engaged response to the hearing of the word of God. So there again, it's not that just the act of hearing words. The role of our, as far as to us to cooperate. And that's something that we do by faith. Similarly, yes. And and similarly, as I was studying for my, my last sermon, 
the parallel passage to the last Jesus. Sermon you're ever going to preach? No, my last sermon that I preached most mm. recently. <laughs> um, I was looking at the parallels to Jesus teaching in Nazareth, and in the parallels, it says it, it, it closes out the passage by saying something along the lines of Jesus couldn't do many miracles mm. there uh. because of their lack of faith, or something along those lines. Yeah. And so it's that that's it's interesting. So these you know, these yeah. people who Jesus wanted to bless, mm. yeah. they, they he couldn't. He, he maybe was making the invitation, but there was no response right. from the people. Right. And that reality can be very uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, that uh, we we do have a role to play. And, yes, it is all by God's grace. Um, and that's another reason why I like Luke's account of this call in contrast to Matthew and Mark's, because in Matthew and Mark, it almost looks like you know jesus has this sway over the disciples and he just kind of says with his magic charming voice follow me and they dropped everything and followed jesus and it gets presented sometimes as is kind of what you were alluding to that you know the word of jesus is so powerful that they you know they just kind of like they're like robots they just kind of dropped mm-hmm. everything and they're not following jesus you yeah. know and th- that ignores what you were saying and what i think luke 5 is helping us see no, we we have to cooperate. We have a yep. decision we have to make. It's, Jesus does not hold some magical sway over us, and we can't. No, you can. Well, this is again soteriology. You can resist His grace. Mm, yeah, <laughs> there are some that say His grace is irresistible, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you can, um, because the Bible commands us against. It warns us against resisting the grace of God. Sure, sure. So, um, but just for for our purposes, we have a role to play. We've got to cooperate. Mm-hmm. We have to act in faith. And Peter starts off a little. You know, shaky, you know, hey, we worked all night, you know, I really don't want to do this, but he comes through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and like, so the the other side of that coin is that our acting in faith is very often putting our trust in Jesus. Absolutely. And so it's not as though Peter needed to perform the miracle. All he had to do was take a step of faith. And just respond to Jesus's. Exactly. Right. And so this is where I think I have gotten caught up before is, man, I really want to be transformed. I want my life to change. I want to break these habits, you know, whatever it would be. And I've, I was like, oh, it's, it's up to me. I have to, mm-hmm. and there's, again, there's nothing wrong necessarily with any of these things, but I have to get the accountability. I have to create a new regimen. I have to, uh, you know, do, do these things in order to cause the change to happen. <laughs> and it's like, Okay, maybe you know there's there there's just really wise things to do, and there's smart ways of living. Yet, it's all you need to do is have faith and trust in Jesus, right. and He's the one who provides the miracle. He's the one who provides the transformation. Right. And so it's this praxis, and that's I think the beauty in the middle of that broader soteriological conversation is that regardless of where you fall, Jesus is the one who provides the grace. He's the one who, so whether we're, Amen. you know, wherever you fall on that, our, our whole role is to cast ourselves on him. Yeah. And at and, that point, you know, who, what, <laughs> the, the outworking is up to him. And it's also remembering that all of that work we're doing is a response. Yes, you know, absolutely. We, we don't initiate anything yeah. and we can't make God do anything. But fortunately, we have a God who's not willing that any mm-hmm. should perish, and yes. he wants people to be saved. So he's always inviting and calling, and yeah. our, the problem is not that God's not in calling and inviting. Totally. The problem is we don't respond, mm-hmm. um, or we respond in rebellious ways or neglectful ways. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think the other tragedy when we assume that there's this sort of magical forced response to <laughs> Jesus is you miss out on the deep, mm. right? You miss out on that, yeah. that opportunity to turn into trust yeah. and the struggle there and the fear and the, I mean, that's a real experience for folks. Yeah. And I love how you brought that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When was, when was it that obviously the language is in the text, but when did that metaphor of the deep or mm. that idea really stick out to you? Hmm. Um, I think it was uh, May twenty eighth, like a four fifteen in okay. the morning. Yeah. Okay, I was I mean, curious. Four, I knew I thought it was around then. I just yeah. wanted to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
yeah, it was uh, about a month or two ago when I was uh, trying to pray through Luke and just kind of get a feel from the Holy Spirit. Where do you want to go with this? Mm-hmm. And so I'm writing my preaching calendar. I'm, I'm planning out my preaching calendar. And um, just, I, you know, this is how the Holy Spirit works. I was reading through Luke 5. And it's it's just lit up that those three words just lit up you know mm-hmm. into the deep and and I, I no actually it was probably into the deep water because I was reading in the NIV mm-hmm. into the deep water but then sometime in that I can't get this is months ago I can't remember exactly but somehow I just probably the Greek I was reading the Greek and uh, noticed there there is no word water there it's into the into the deep only is all it says and I was like oh what a cool phrase just that that captivated me. Um, I love these moments, by the way, mm-hmm. when I'm, I'm just reading along, listening, and a phrase or a word will yeah. capture my attention. And it's hard to just, you know, I can't make it happen. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I'll be reading, like, I said, there's something here. I just don't know what it is. And it doesn't show up. It doesn't come. But when it does, mm-hmm. it is one of those exhilarating moments that you know, instantly I'm like, that's a series. Yep. <laughs> you know, that, that's that's like oh there's so much right there yeah. and will that be a three-week series or a six-week series but <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about that you know yeah uh, turns out it's going to be a three-week series but um you know pretty quickly i i began to recognize the metaphorical and implications because mm-hmm. it's it's not an Im- a metaphorical phrase in the text yeah it's a you know spatial phrase right it's, you know we're going into the deep water um, and yet it's very much a time when Peter it's against Peter's reason. Mm-hmm. It's oh. against his plans. It's against his need to rest. You mm-hmm. know, like it's against a lot of these very natural things. Yeah. One of my favorite elements of our conversation as a life group, as we were reflecting on the sermon is we looked at the different elements underneath your fourth point in your sermon, mm-hmm. where it was, you know, when is it hard to trust Jesus? It was when it doesn't make sense, when you're in pain, mm-hmm. when you're tired, like all these different things. And I, we spent some time just reflecting what are areas of my life that resonate with these phrases, mm-hmm. areas that are painful, mm-hmm. areas that are confusing, areas where I'd rather oh, be doing something else. Yeah. And then the turn was then, is it possible that those are the very areas where God is calling you into the deep? Those are the deep areas of your life where it's hard, but, but, and yet God wants to use Mm -hmm. it to help you to trust him. Um, I just feel very strongly that, and honestly, I get this from my wife, joy that, um, nothing in life is wasted. Mm -hmm. She wrote, she was a literature major and she wrote this beautiful, series of pieces for her senior project just out of her life. And then mm-hmm. what she had to do at the end is think of a theme that ties all these mm-hmm. different poems wow. and short stories wow. from her life into, you know, into under, under one roof. Yeah. Co- cohesive whole. And the theme was nothing is wasted. Mm-hmm. Even the hardest moments, the pain. Mm-hmm. And, um, she has been changed deeply <laughs> by the deep. Yeah. And I love seeing that in her and, so and there's cool. a quiet strength to that. And, yeah. and yet it, there's the temptation to just run away from it mm. because it is, it is hard. Um, well, that, that, that whole phrase says something powerful about the character of God because mm-hmm. God is a sovereign loving God. Yeah. Nothing is wasted. <laughs> uh, beautiful. And there's a, there's this hymn that's, that we actually had sung during our wedding, uh, which is how firm a foundation. And the second verse says, when through the deep waters, I ask thee to go, Mm. the rivers of sorrow shall not thee or flow for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee, thy deepest distress Mm. is this beautiful. That that has always been so meaningful to me. Um, that's cool. Um, I can remember the, 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 one of the hymns we sang at our wedding, which is a little bit longer ago than yours, but, <laughs> but it was, uh, love divine, all loves excelling. And, it, mm. and it, we don't sing that very often. No, I don't think I've ever heard it actually. So it's, it's a Charles Wesley, uh, okay. hymn, and, uh, but it, it takes me back, you know, to <laughs> August 14th, 1982. Absolutely. I, um, I wonder how many people have great hymns of the church sung at their wedding. Mm-hmm. We need to have more of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, so here's an interesting connection point. So Jesus's first miracle was at a wedding in mm-hmm. Cana. Mm-hmm. In John, yeah. Uh, but we don't see that in Luke. And so as we're reading through the text, another interesting thing I wanted to ask you about is 
in in some senses, some people might read this text in Luke five and say, "Is this Jesus's first miracle in the uh, Gospel of Luke?" Uh, yeah, um, because you know, we we know probably the miracle in Cana came first, but for for Luke's narrative, you know, we've seen Jesus performing signs, but there's different language that gets used for these. You know, there's healings, there's signs, there's um, casting out of demons, and mm-hmm. then there's even as we've been talking about it, there's these miraculous things. So are they all miracles or how do you, what, what's going on here? Right. What is a miracle? Oh, how wow. do you, how do you talk about yeah, that? That's a big subject. Uh, um, I mean, I, th- I think different people would, um, would respond differently to this. You know, mm-hmm. I, if, if you, if you define a miracle as something happening out of the ordinary, you know, right. out of the natural, let's not say out of the ordinary, out of the natural order, mm-hmm. um, then I would definitely say that healings are miraculous. I would definitely say that uh, um, casting out demons is the miraculous mm. because demons don't just fade away. They don't just, you know, naturally dissipate, you know, there's no entropy yeah, happening yeah. with, with demons. So there has to be a divine interruption of what's happening. Yeah. So I would classify, uh, you know, demon uh, being uh, cast out as being a miracle, which that's the first, therefore miracle of Luke. He casts mm-hmm. out the demon and, um, and Capernaum. Um, uh, but it, it, if you think that a healings, well, he did that also at, at Capernaum. Uh, but sometimes people call this the first miracle in Luke because um, it's you know out of the super. It's, it seems to be so supernatural. So I, you know, I think it's the um, the demons being cast out. But mm-hmm. either either way you look at it, I yeah. think it, 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 it works for me that Jesus is Luke is picturing Luke. Luke is picturing Jesus as a, a, a rabbi, a prophet who does the miraculous. Mm-hmm. So pretty quickly in his ministry, he's, he's focusing on teaching. Right, that's the main thing. I pointed that out that he's picturing him primarily as a teacher and a preacher, but unlike any other teacher and preacher, not only because the authority (laughs) of his words, but because of was matched by these signs and these wonders. Yeah. And so in in a sense, Jesus is mm -hmm. going into the deep uh, because, you know, at no other rabbi cast out demons and no other rabbi healed people. Those were, they had priests that would perform you know, try to do exorcisms and try to do healings, but that was not a rabbinic office. These were, these were things that were separated. Yeah. And, and then of course the, you know, the, the office of prophet uh, often brought with it some signs of the miraculous. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus connects this prophet, this prophet, priest and King, this teacher, this healer, this exorcist, this, mm-hmm. you know, wonder worker. And it's, it's all a part of who Jesus yeah. is. And, and um, I think, you know, him including this this ministry of healing and exorcism, this is going into the deep in its, in its own way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I also think, I also think as we read this, and I don't, I don't know if we've talked about this in our study of Luke yet, but for some people listening, hearing about these miraculous moments may feel like a situation where they're not un- there it's hard to understand or it's difficult to mm. accept um and so for some people coming face to face with the claims that jesus was a miracle worker for mm. them that may be a, a kind of being called into the deep yeah. like are you willing to receive that this is the world of the bible mm-hmm. this is how the bible presents jesus as a man who is not just a teacher mm-hmm. um but there have been many famous people philosophers and and uh great thinkers who reject out of hand uh, even even biblical scholars Mm -hmm. who reject out of hand Mm -hmm. the um the reality or the possibility of miracles i remember as a seminary student the first time i discovered a theologian a biblical scholar who who rejected the miracles i was like wait wait a minute that's like a doctor who doesn't believe that people can be healed. You know, <laughs> well, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know the Bible better than anybody and, and you don't believe in the supernatural power of God. You don't, what, you know, I just, I was just dumbfounded. Yeah. And it didn't make any sense to me. Of course, as I learned, uh, as I grew in seminary, I discovered why, which is a whole other podcast, <laughs> how they came to that conclusion. Right. Which is so sad to yeah. me, you know, to, 
to know all about Jesus, but not to do what John said, to believe in who he is. And, um, yeah, that's a... Um, that's in a sense they did not respond to the call into the deep. Which, mm. by the way, just you saying that phrase into the deep reminds me. Did you go to um, when you went to Israel? Did you go to Magdala? Yes, we did. And did you see the Duke in Altum uh, Chapel? Yes, yes, so, I did. So that's Latin. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Latin scholar, but it's Latin for into the deep. Oh, uh, really? Duke in Altum. Yeah. So uh, and, I did not know that. Yeah. Is that the chapel that has um, all the the like the pillars of with the women yep. depicted? Okay, yep. yeah. That's yeah. What so I there's there's was. two things going on there. It's commemorating uh, this this uh, passage in Luke five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you get inside this Duke in Altum chapel, then you have these pillars. Mm. Uh, uh, that's just you know an amazing place. But yeah. I, I can close my eyes and I can see it. And if you if you went because you went what like five years ago, four years ago, yeah, twenty nineteen. Yeah. So it, it may have just been built when you got there. It was very new, and they were like they were like, oh, this is a new thing. Yeah. This is so cool. Well, I remember <laughs> driving by you know years ago. And our our uh, Israeli guide pointed out that they were digging, mm-hmm. and uh, as we're driving by on the bus, he, he told us a, some story about how somebody was digging for one thing to put a building there or something like that. I heard later that it was a YMCA. I've heard other people say it was something else. I don't mm-hmm. really know, but they were they, they were not digging to find Magdala. They were digging to Dude. build something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, in Israel, every time you put a shovel in the ground, you have to call the office of the antiquities. Because they won't let you. You can go to jail. You can literally go to jail for digging without having the Office of Antiquities monitoring that. Interesting. Uh, because there's you know there's always something to find. And and he said, um, yeah, see that place where they're digging right there? They were going to build something, but they discovered this artifact that led them to believe this is ancient Magdala. And we're like, what? And he goes, you come back here in a year or two and there'll be a whole chapel there. <laughs> and so I thought of that, you know, two years later, I drove by there. It's all done. You know, Duke yeah. and Altum, the, the chapel to celebrate this Luke five and so cool. the story of, of, of Mary Magdala. And <laughs> every time I go to Israel, I see a new building, a new place that they're digging. That's why it's just so fascinating. There's, they're discovering things left and right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing I was thinking about as I was listening to the sermon and then also in reflecting that, that I want to ask you about is the whole sermon is built on this idea of becoming a because you say so kind mm. of follower, mm. yeah. which is awesome That's incredible language. Phrase. And yet what I found in my own life and in the lives of a lot of people that I minister to is, is in many ways, a willingness. Mm. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know what it is that he's saying. It's almost like they're to, to use a phrase from a missions conference that we went to recently. Their yes is on the table. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've told God, whatever you say, mm-hmm. I will follow. Yeah. But they really struggle to discern what is God saying to me? And and I think part part mm. of this is because I minister to a lot of twenty somethings, and we're all trying to figure out <laughs> what what's going on with life and next steps sure. and all that stuff. And but these are big questions. But um, you know, how do you hear what Jesus is saying clearly? <laughs> because you know, for Peter, it was right. as clear as you're talking sure. to me right now. Exactly. Why don't you cast that into the deep, Peter? I want I want to show you something. But for us. You know, we we can listen to the word of God, right? We can be a we can akuo, we we can read the word, but um, very often people don't find they, their their struggle seems to be more so. Man, my heart I feel like is in the right place. I just can't get mm-hmm. clarity. Yeah. How, how do a, you counsel people? That's in a massive that? question because mm-hmm. it touches on the biblical discipline of in, in inter- biblical interpretation. Yeah. It touches on what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Um, it touches on, um, you know, people who claim to have heard things from God and then to go, to go out and do outrageous things. Yeah. And it's like the reason that they give sounds very much like something you'd read out of the Bible because he said so. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean he said so? Yeah. I heard him speak. Well, God speaks. So, you know, well, you heard wrong. <laughs> you know, well, who are you to tell me I heard wrong? 
You know, the Bible has record of God telling people to do some pretty strange things. So, you know, we, we do need to yeah. figure out how, how does God speak? How can we hear from God? And 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 how can we um, believe with a level of, of reliability that we're hearing accurately? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times that I've asked this question and my own walk with Jesus, and a lot of time I've helped other people work through this question as a pastor and counseling them, I'm, I'm talking to, and I'm in my own life, uh, this is really, really important. That's not a small thing to me. Mm-hmm. I really want to hear from God, and I want to do what God wants me to do. This is not a rhetorical question. How do yeah. I hear from God? Yep. And, and there's been times when I've been angry at God. You're wearing a shirt that says Taylor University. I had one of my most... You know, biggest fights with God on a hill on the middle of the campus of Taylor University. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's so silly, but it was because I was such an earnest young man and I wanted to hear from God. And it felt to me like God wasn't answering me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where, you know, how, how do I get more earnest? You know, I'm, I, listen, here I am. Why, why won't you come through? Yeah, you know, and in a, and then it went from that into a, like a two year old tantrum, you know, because you won't give me what I want when I want it. I'm not even sure you exist, you know. Mm. But it was all come from a good place. I I wanted to hear from God. I wanted yeah. to walk with God. I was trying to make this real, and it's just funny to think about it now because because I, yeah. I, I remember one of the one of the funny little episodes was. I got bit by or stung by a mosquito, and I'm like, you know, can you take the mosquitoes away? You know, <laughs> I, I was just it was descending into just you know comical, yeah, st- yeah stupid yeah. things. But it, it all started with I was at a crossroads in my life, mm-hmm. and I wanted to hear from God, so I went out in the middle of the night. I was actually in the prayer chapel, yep, the old prayer chapel at Taylor, and I'd been on my face, I'd been on my you know laying out prostrate before the Lord, and and I'd been reading the Bible. And, and I'd been, you know, talking to him and I wasn't getting anywhere. And so, you know, we're talking two, three in the morning. I went out and, you know, it was talking to God and was, you know, now I'm back on the, on the ground and I'm on, on this little hill outside the chapel. And I couldn't have been more earnest. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't getting what I wanted from God. And so I railed against him. Yeah. But I'm sure that he chuckled because it, it wasn't, it wasn't a rebellious railing. It mm-hmm. was a... You know, a, a little child who who wants you know I want to know you. That you is know? such graphic imagery for me right now because <laughs> I have a t- well, I have a two and a half year old daughter. <laughs> okay, yeah, and it's the hey, we're only going to have one piece of candy, and just the absolute <laughs> just fall to the ground. I mean, it is just the most pitiful and sorrowful. It hurts my heart to watch her just collapse. I mean, she will just collapse into the ground. <laughs> Daddy, please, one more, please, Daddy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't get you. (laughs) And I've actually, one of the great blessings of being a father has been looking at Arden in those moments oh, no kidding. and God being like, yep, <laughs> you soak that. You remember this moment because it is so me, but I, you, you did jog another great family story from, from my heritage, which is not only did my parents get engaged in that very prayer chapel, mm-hmm. but my grandfather, when he was considering on my mom's side, when he was considering proposing to my grandmother, he locked himself in the prayer chapel oh my goodness. until God gave him clarity. Wow. So it's kind of this Love similar. Yeah. yeah. And so he also, and obviously he got clarity of mm-hmm. what he felt like he was, um, That's cool. was sufficient to him and uh, ended up proposing in the rest of his history. But well, you know, it, since you've been there, there's all these journals, there's old journals of people mm-hmm. who have written things, you know, there's uh, some of my writing, if they still have those in there, you know, cause I was wrestling with God and, yeah. Uh, it's just to, to think that's, you know, that's generations ago that yeah. people have gone in there to meet with God. So anyway, back to this very relevant question of how, you know, how do I know when I'm hearing from God? How do I hear from God? Uh, it's not fair because Peter, there's Jesus in the flesh, you know, let down the water, the nets into the water. So, um, you know, the, the, what I tell people is you get to hear God more clearly as you practice Mm. listening to him yeah. and obeying him. You will never get clarity about God speaking if you do not, number one, um, 
carve out time to listen to him. Open the word of God, read it. Don't just do the proverbial, you know, open the Bible randomly and put your close your eyes and put your finger and wherever your finger is. That's God speaking to me. That's mm-hmm. that's you know, it's a funny story. It's a dangerous way for God to speak, even if it's helped one person in history. Um, you know, God doesn't speak randomly like that. So you know, be in the Word. Be have a posture of listening. You know, we, we well, I like to use the phrase that the Scripture is the native tongue of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to hear from the Holy Spirit. Get familiar with his word. And um, and then, you know, when you think that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit, do what it says. Do, you know, obey. Um, don't turn that into the only time I'm going to obey is if when it's a big deal. No, o- obey in little things. If, if you sense, do I sense God saying, give $20 to that person? Okay, you stop and say, Lord, is this, is this you? And if you think it is, then do it. Mm-hmm. So, and if it's, if it turns out like that was a bad idea, then you're like, okay, you know, now I know that, that, that voice there was not God. So you're, you're beginning to recognize the language of the Holy Spirit, you know, and there's a couple of things we can say right off the bat, you know, number one, the Holy Spirit never demands, you must do this. Mm. He never, you know, uh, makes yeah. it sound like, you know, if you don't do this, you're never going to hear from God again. Mm. That is I have heard that in my spirit, and that is from the devil. Yeah, that is I, not the way God speaks. I, I recently was reading a, an autobiography of someone who wrestled with religious obsessive compuls- mm-hmm. compulsions, and it's very much this: mm-hmm. do these nonsensical things, or uh, and there's this impending sense of doom. Absolutely, and that is not a that sign. Is, nope. of the work of the Holy Spirit. Nope. Um, you know, like the old salesman. You know, you, you're only going to get this deal if you sign on the dotted line today. This mm-hmm. this deal won't work tomorrow. God does not work like that. Uh, so, uh, so you know, we can we know some ways God doesn't speak. You know, mm-hmm. He doesn't put high pressure on us. Uh, he doesn't make demands of us. He doesn't use coercion. Um, uh, he doesn't do. Uh, I'm, I'm going to punish you if you don't. So all, all those kinds of no of language that's not the work of the holy spirit you know the the fruit of the holy spirit is love joy and peace well that's that's the way the holy spirit's going to work he yeah he's going to produce what he you know what he is and Mm -hmm. so it says that the fruit of the spirit is gentleness okay that's that's a good way of measuring the voice of the holy spirit is that a gentle voice uh and uh so we we can take out automatically with, with just that little little uh, thought there. We can take out a lot of things that we think are hearing from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's he's gentle. And then of course the uh, the obvious things that a lot of people talk about is is this something that's a biblical idea? Not just is it in the Bible, but you know is it a scriptural? Is it a biblical concept? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you know, I've over the years I've had people say, well, that word's not in the Bible, so it's not biblical. And, you know, and I've always responded, I think, with the, well, neither is the word Trinity. So we, mm-hmm. we believe in the Trinity, though the word Trinity does not show up in the Bible. So the word biblical simply refers to it. Is it, is it, um, uh, is it reflected in the, in a, in the Bible's worldview? Is it reflected in, in the, the kinds of things the Bible teaches? Uh, so, you know, obviously God's not going to, lead us to break his word, to break his law. He's not going to lead us to lie to somebody. Mm-hmm. He's not going to lead us to do something that's going to, you know, uh, hurt somebody yeah. uh, in a you know vicious kind of way. These are all kinds of obvious tests. That's a really interesting connection to our devotion reading uh, recently in Second uh, Kings, yeah. where <laughs> yeah. it, it's Elisha is providing an oracle for the king of Israel, and he, he says that you know, God is going to bless you to go and fight against the Moabites and you're going to destroy their land, which is a, a way of waging war that God prohibits in the, in the, when, yeah. when Israel is originally coming into the land. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this moment where it's like, okay, wait, yeah. is God doing double speak? And it's like, we can rule that out on the front end. God right. is not denying himself. Right. He's not contradicting himself. He speaks truth and he mm-hmm. speaks in one accord. Uh, but it, but it does create some interesting moments. Yes, it does. And um, again, like any other kind of uh, practice, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, we'll get in trouble because 
people only say things like, I want to know what the Holy Spirit has to say in moments of crisis. Well, you, you know, you won't be able to run a marathon if you don't train for it. Yeah. You also won't be able to hear God speak clearly if you, if you haven't trained for it. Yeah. But if you train yourself to hear God's voice in the crisis, you'll be able to hear his voice. Yeah. Um, I, I have said before to people, if you really want to hear from God, you can't miss his 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 direction, and, and, and when it comes to a direction kind of thing, so mm. so God is not going to play games with us. You know, I I really want to know. Do you want me to marry this? You know, big things. You want me to marry this person? You want me to leave the this you know this this area? You want me to you know go to school? You know, these big kind of things. If you want to know God's will, God's not does not play cat and mouse with you. He will tell you in His time, in His way. Um. Our problem is that we don't want to wait on God. Mm-hmm. We don't want to develop the ability to hear from God. We don't want to train ourselves to be godly. We just want it when we want it. Yeah. You know, and God won't be treated like a, you know, a genie. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that I often uh, tell people, actually this is in my book um, about listening to God, uh, if you want to hear from God, it, is you know, are you wanting to know God's will for some selfish reason, mm-hmm. you know, God may not give you, he may not tell you what to do Yeah, if it's, you know, I, I, for a selfish reason. But if you're asking him for ministry purposes, you know, that's a whole different matter. Yeah. So um, most, let me finish with this. Most of the times that people say, I want to hear from God, is just, and this is going to be painful, it's just an indication that they don't really know God. Mm. Because the kinds of things that I asked God for direction for when I was in my 20s and 30s, I never ask for now, because I know God. I didn't know Him then. I was getting to know Him. And now, after decades of listening and obeying and, and walking with Him, I can very readily no, this is God's will. I don't have to ask him. I, I know this is what God wants me to do because, because Jesus has already said it mm-hmm. or it's already in the word or because it's already something he spoke into my spirit when I was having devotions this morning or yeah. it's something that he spoke mm-hmm. to me a couple of days ago. So you, you walk with God and these things have a way of working themselves out. Most of the times this question gets asked when I'm really not walking with God, yeah. but I want to know his will. Yeah, and it's even on that note it's a blessing to us, right? Like you've been walking with the Lord for decades mm-hmm. to develop that intimacy. And Peter, who's appears in our story later on in his epistles, he writes to a, a group of believers who have not heard Jesus in the flesh, who have not interacted with him in the flesh. And he says, you know, he almost like marvels at their faith. He's like, you love him, but you haven't seen him. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I don't know it well enough to quote it verbatim, but Peter recognizes Mm -hmm. there's a beauty to the faith of someone who has not had the blessing of hearing Jesus audible voice of touching his body, of having a hug from him physically. Yeah. That's cool to imagine Peter, the the, the guy, the disciple wrote that years later. That's a cool thought. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. So as you're, as you're uh, thinking about this sermon and as we're wrapping up this conversation, um, do you just want to let us into your pastoral heart for our church as mm. you're thinking about the deep and people getting called into the deep? Mm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's the cry of every father of a, of a family. And in many respects, I'm a, I'm a, a father in this church, you know, mm-hmm. as a pastor, it's a father figure, you know, the people that you love, you, you, you want them to walk in intimacy with God. You want them to go into the deep, um, partly because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you want that for them, uh, partly because you know that that the shallows, as we've said in the sermon, is is um, so far below our birthright and you want, you, you, you want that for them. And sometimes it's because you want them to go beyond what you experience. You know, sometimes as a, as a pastor or as a father, I, I want people that I love uh, and my children to, to experience more of what I've experienced. Um, so it comes from all those different kinds of places. Mm. But 
you know, it, I think there's a little bit of that in Jesus's words in Matthew 9, when he looked out upon the crowd and said, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, you know, life comes from knowing God, n- not from knowing about God and not treating the Bible and treating the Holy Spirit as little nuggets to get guide me on my way, but from knowing him. And so I, 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 you know, my desire, my prayer for everyone who goes open doors, they would press in to know God, mm. that they would go into the deep of knowing him. Because to me, that's what the deep is. It's knowing God. It's not, it's not, it's not the things that I know. It's, it's, it's who I know and how deeply I know him. Mm. Th- that's the deep. And, uh, of course that is the promise of discipleship. And that's what God, that's what Jesus is going to call Peter into yeah. in the next pericope, you know, uh, when he, when they all leave everything and follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're back now to, you know, the, the, one of the themes of our church is that's discipleship. Yep. And so the way we talk about discipleship is to follow Jesus, to get things from Jesus, right? <laughs> No, we, we, we say to <laughs> yeah, follow. Have, maybe to, I need to go look at it again. <laughs> we, we want to follow Jesus to learn from Jesus to become like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I actually, are we ready to go? Because I'd love to pray for yeah, our church. No, please do. Yeah, we, let, me, let me do that. Lord, um, just like you called Peter to launch into the deep, um, I, I pray that, that everyone in our church would hear that call directed to them, addressed to them, to launch out into the deep of trusting you, of knowing you, of discovering more about you, and that and that person after person all over our church would respond. It wouldn't be just a person here or there, just some spiritually elite people, but that 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 children, that students, that singles, that married couples, that uh, empty nesters, that uh, those who've lost their spouses, you know, people from all ages and all spectrums would would hear you address them. Come on out into the deep. Let, let's go into the deep water. And that they would launch, that they would go out, that they would do what you said, and that they would begin to discover more about who you are. And they would begin to, to sense some of this life that you have to give us this quality of eternal life, this flourishing relationship, this abundant kind of life that comes from walking with you, that comes from knowing you, that comes from investing our life into knowing and doing what you invite us into. And so, Lord, that's something that you do by the power of your Spirit, and it's something that it requires us to cooperate with. So, Holy Spirit, do your thing, you know, call people, invite people, and may all over our church our, and outside our church, people listening to this podcast, may, may they, may you, actually, would you create a hunger if there are people who, who are like, I don't really get that. Would you, right now, would you birth a hunger, a desire for them to go into the deep with you? A, a hunger to know you more deeply, a, a hunger to leave the shallows and to launch out into the deep with you. So maybe, maybe Holy Spirit, you would just create that desire in people and that it would grow and, and develop in them. And that, you know, what David wrote in, in the Psalm 30, what, Psalm 37, that, that commit your way to the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, that you would actually birth desire in us. Desire formed and shaped by you. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.